I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're allowed to be biased, are we not? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, fuck it. It is 2017, which means it's time for the front free, and the gang is all here. Lawrence McKenna, how you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. David Bryan here as well. Buongiorno. As is Chris Hennage. Hey. Happy 2017, guys. Um, New Year's resolution. Feels good, doesn't it? Lawrence, you got any uh, resolution you want to share with us all? Uh, 1080p up to 4K, huh? What? It's a new resolution, mate. Oh. Oh, no. Uh, Fucking hell. Not sure. <laughs> uh, we'll move swiftly on. Dave, have you got an actual New Year's resolution? To be more organised. Wow. Okay. I like that. Uh, Chris? Big one. No, I haven't got anything, to be honest. You got no New Year's resolutions? No. Chris is a perfect wow. human. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he is... Uh, he is the the epitome of the perfect man, uh, Lawrence. You, you got nothing else apart from your your TV uh, resolution. Sorry, mate. Are you absolutely trying to are you trying to make out like I need to make a resolution? No, you know, much like Chris, um, you know, that you're you're a perfect man. Well, uh, maybe I'll control my anger, Adam. Whoa, um, whoa! You better get on with it, otherwise <laughs> it's going to make my resolution. <laughs> um, what's my resolution? Uh, oh, I've got a great resolution. To do something 640 new. 640 by 480. Every ah. weekend. Oh, good. What What did you start with this weekend? Uh, well, it didn't count this weekend. Uh, right, okay. So <laughs> exactly. this weekend, you made an excuse. This weekend wow. coming, you know. Right. Got to say, no, be, go do? and see a new film. Go to like a new place to eat. Maybe like go to a new place in London or do something new, you know. Go and see a new film. That counts, doesn't it? <laughs> it does not count. Go and do something new, you know? Okay. Don't just sit about doing the same old things, you know? You've got experienced life, Lawrence. You're just talking about your TV resolution, you know? I've got big plans, you know? Blue One, sky the week, when you're in week 32 and you're coming back to me saying, I bought a new TV <laughs> with a big resolution, then you won't be complaining, will you, man? I'll be eating humble pie. Anyway, guys, uh, let's get on with the Premier League review. So much football to get through. Let's start, Dave, with Manchester United. They obviously won 2-0 tonight at West Ham. A controversial win 
It has to be said, though, uh, six wins in a row now for Jose Mourinho's team. Potentially a helping hand, though, from Mike Dean. Uh, firstly, Sofiane Faguli sent off for a challenge I don't think anyone thought was actually a red card. Yeah, I've got to admit, it was uh, the Mike Dean show tonight. I think he made a number of stinky decisions on both sides, you know, for Manchester United and for West Ham, but the red card was a bit silly. The only thing that I can try and defend him of the angle that he had was kind of behind Faguli, so he couldn't really see what his um, what his feet were doing, whether he was off the ground. It just looked like a very lungy tackle from Faguli from Mike Dean's angle, but it wasn't a red card. And his, you know, if he can't see it, his linesman needs to help him out there because... Obviously, it changed the game. West Ham started very brightly. They were dominating the ball in the first 15 minutes. And as soon as the red card came, obviously, it completely changed. But United struggled. They, their tempo was so, so poor. I think when you're playing against 10 men, you know, you need to move the ball quickly. You need to switch it from side to side. You need to get in between the lines. You need to try and expose the, the 10 men. And United didn't do that at all. There were so many occasions where there was five United players behind the whole West Ham compact um, nine outfielders. So you're looking at, like, with the two centre-backs. So you've got Phil Jones, Marcus Rojo. Carrick in between them, and then Herrera and Pogba all goal side of the you know the deep block that West Ham were playing out, which was it was very very poor. And obviously Mourinho came up trump, so half time obviously got out the players, they got to press a bit more, changed it around, bought Dar- bought Damian off, Mata on, uh, went with a midfield three of Herrera, Mata and Pogba, and put Michael Carrick at centre back. A very interesting move, but Michael Carrick played the pass forward to Marcus Rashford for the goal. Obviously Rashford made the real difference, stayed nice and wide, and that's the key thing when you're playing against a team that is you know, down a man, you want to stretch them wide, you want to have your wide players pretty much standing on the touchline. Of course, on that uh, the right-hand side with um, Mkhitaryan out there, he was coming in, inside and, and uh, Valencia was sort of overlapping and being that outlet. But on the other side, they had two players. Marcus Rojo um, was very wide and, of course, Marcus Rashford and his assist for the goal, the first goal, was absolutely fantastic. He did so well to get to the byline and then just stop and um, Ogbonna came flying over and he just cut the ball back. And I, I like to sort of look at how many of Juan Mata's goals have come from pretty much the penalty spot this season from a cutback. Because I think that's something that United have been working on as a team. Because it's happened, you know, think of the League Cup against uh, game against Manchester City where it was Ander Herrera pullback. And I think the week, week later again against um, another side, I can't remember who it was, but it was a similar thing where it was cut back to the penalty spot and Juan Mata just putting the ball in the back of the net. But credit to Mourinho. I think Mourinho deserves the, the three points because his tactical changes and... Um, general getting the players up and motivation was really good mm, got the job done um, the second goal as well though uh, controversial offside um, from Slam Ibrahimovic has to be said uh, I for one was fuming uh, that means is it 13 goals now he's on for the season in the Premier League should be 14 mate should be 14 <clears throat> that's what I was going to say it potentially evens itself out though because Dave he had his own goal disallowed um, just a few days ago against Middlesbrough um, kind of an one of his classic essentially kung fu kicks but it was disallowed by the referee for dangerous play. I mean, did you agree with that one? Yeah, I think I did, to be honest. I think I'm one of the only Man United fans in world football that, that thinks that that was a, a foul. You know, I think it was it was dangerous because of the way, the, the height of where he's getting his foot and it's it's an open foot as well. You know, the studs are exposed. It's dangerous. And unfortunately, you know, you look at if that's on any, any other place on the pitch, that's a, a free kick. So for me, yeah, I think that was the right call. Uh, but obviously tonight, the goal that was definitely, you know, offside, Oh, as well, yeah. the crazy thing as well, if you look at look at Paul Pogba's position, so Paul Pogba is standing a good yard, Glatton is on miles. the verge, so, but he's offside, Pogba's miles offside, and then he pretty much blocks um, Winston Reid putting a challenge in. Again, it's all this active, not active bollocks that's just, they need to sort out. Just they offside. Need to, he's offside. It, it's just offside. They need to go back to that old thing because 
There was another goal this weekend. Why? That I can't scored it. Uh, that was yeah. There was one a where second phase of play, wasn't was, there, where, the, where he became active? It was. Was it Arsenal? No. No, 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 no. It was against Liverpool. It was the Jermaine Defoe chance where yeah. um, oh, and Goy is it in yeah. Goy? Um, he goes and Dong, Dong sorry, um, makes a slight motion to go to the ball, and Jermaine Defoe comes screaming through, and then Dong is miles offside. Yeah, yeah. And he I makes mean, the I, motion I, yeah. to go to the ball. And what if he yeah, stops? Is that or, yeah. is that okay? It's just like you know, if he makes that move, the goalkeeper sees him makes that move. The defenders that are defending it are seeing him make that move, so they're they're making another decision in the head before going shit. Jermaine Defoe's onside, and I just yeah, I think it's, it's a bit of a mess. It's never. There was another one as well. I can't remember where it was, but it was about it was all about the phases of play and when people are on or offside. It could have been the Arsenal game. I can't remember, um, but it did end in a goal. And there, are, so I mean, if Mignolet hadn't been off his line so quick, it mm-hmm. could have ended quite differently. It's never black and white. I mean, this 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 Valdez Valdez versus Ibrahimovic one, Lawrence. Um, a lot of people saying that Ibrahimovic was you know a good two meters or so away from Valdez. His foot had lowered by the time he made, made, made yeah. contact. So therefore, is it still dangerous play? I think because he ended up colliding with Valdez, people are saying it's more dangerous. Uh, it, when you look at it, uh, how Webb is not helping the argument. Um, when you look at it from an angle, he's a couple of feet away from Valdez when he does make contact with the ball. Foot goes down, then he collides with him in the end, which looks like a less dangerous thing. I think Valdez, I mean, you know, you can't really accuse a player because you don't really know what I'm thinking, but I would have said he stayed down um, because the ball nestled nicely in his net. Um, I, I, <laughs> Dave and I have this conversation before. You know, do you ref the player or do you ref the situation? And ultimately, everyone else is right in the sense that you have to ref the situation. But when I'm judging it personally based on that, I think I probably would have, as a referee, you think, well, would I have given that one? Because we know that Zlatan is in control of his body there. We know that he's got distance. It's not that the referee is wrong. It's just that in in retrospect, maybe, or, you know, with the the, uh, clarity of hindsight, it's probably Mm. a good idea to give the goal. At the same time, you know, you you sort of say, well, uh, we're supposed to play within the spirit of the game. And I think Zlatan is one of those players who's always sort of pushed the boundaries of the game and pushed the way that the game can be played. And I think he feels it's necessity to have his foot at that height to be able to give it that deft touch, which he does, to get it in the back of the net and get his foot down. Ultimately, we know, actually... Uh, that in this situation, Zlatan was maybe right to do it because he was doing it right. The problem yeah. is he could then exploit that situation to foul someone else another time and say, well, I was, you know, it's the same as that other time. So ultimately the blanket rule has to apply. I think it was a goal, but I don't blame the referee from the angle he was at from the the, the speed of it all to for, for disallowing it to, at the end of the day. But regardless, Manchester United now, Dave, that is six wins in a row, starting to look like United of an old, uh, a team that expects to win. I mean, they're one point off the top four now. Have your expectations changed to win recent weeks now they've been on this run? Are you, are you looking beyond the top four towards sort of a top two, three finish? Nah, I think top four is what United will go for this season. I think there's going to be another bad, bad spell of results, um, you know, maybe March time or something. But United are looking very, very good at the moment and they're looking like they're, they're again today, they were really poor. I thought they were really, really poor. Zlatan had a very poor game, obviously scored the disallowed goal, but he's, his build-up play was shocking. He was coming too deep. That's, again, when you're playing a team that's defending with 10 men, you want your striker to be a striker. And at those times where he was dropping into like central midfield, you're thinking, what the hell are you doing? Let those lads do their job. You do your job. You put the ball in the back of net. And in recent weeks, he's been good at creating chances for his teammates. And none of that today. None of that today. He was very, very, very poor. But other, I think Ander Herrera had a very good game. Just touching on one more player who's absolutely fantastic. I think he's really growing this season and probably one of the most underrated players in the Premier League in terms of what work he's doing for United. And it's going undercover. You know, we, Michael Carrick gets his plaudits 
for you know his impact on this United team, his calming influence. But arguably, the reason why Paul Pogba's finally hitting form is because Under Herrera is really carrying their team in a def- carrying United in a defensive sense in terms of making interceptions, winning tackles. In terms of interceptions, um, he's made more than any other Premier League midfielder, even more than Angulo Kante. So that's a really big statement for Under Herrera this season that Mourinho's come in. He's finally hitting a bit of consistent form. That was a problem last season and the season before. We saw moments of Ander Herrera be wonderful against Liverpool um, at Anfield. He was absolutely fantastic. But the next week, he wouldn't turn up. This this season, every single week, he's putting in performances. No matter where he plays, at 6, at 8, at 10, wherever, he's just been absolutely fantastic. It does feel like the, the top six are starting to put away now, especially over this Christmas period. There have been a few good results for some of the bigger teams. I mean, obviously, they're not without their flaws. But in contrast to last year, each team looks a much stronger proposition. I mean, Chris... Do you think it's getting interesting now at the halfway point as the table shapes up? It is. I, I don't know if Manchester United have a, a title challenge in them. I think, much like Gary Neville, I think they've given themselves too much to do in that regard. Um, <clears throat> the closeness with with the league is still important, though. I mean, it's how Chelsea handle that game in hand to me. I think there's only, what was it, five, six points between first and second, and then... I think seven between City. So if Chelsea win that game in hand that they've got now, that changes things a little bit in my mind, at least in terms of how close the whole thing is and how believable it is. Because you've got to think as well that Chelsea are going to drop points at at some stage this season and and how they respond to that is going to be important because if it's a situation where it's maybe just bad luck, then you can can easily kind of consign that to to being a blip and, and move forward. But if they are kind of found out, um, in the way that some teams have been in the past when they've had such a sort of regimented style that, that seems so flawless, then it could once again open the league up, I think. Yeah, it does feel like a little bit of a, a mini league almost uh, in the top six. Of course, Chelsea at the top of that tree, uh, equaling the Premier League record for consecutive wins in a single season. Now an astonishing 13 wins in a row. Um, Stoke, though, presented perhaps one of the tougher challenges on that run, Lawrence. Uh, yeah, because I think that what Stoke had done was uh, worked out roughly what the system uh, Chelsea were using was um, and uh, looked directly to counter that. I also think they've employed Peter Crouch much better in recent weeks, uh, not firstly against Liverpool, um, secondly, obviously against Chelsea as well. And I think it's it's worked out quite well because he brings other players into play quite nicely, takes out the defenders who maybe aren't so mobile such as maybe Gary Cahill uh, in recent weeks, and uh, basically allows uh, Stoke to bypass the midfield that looks so well stacked um, in Chelsea's favour. So they played it very well. But ultimately, I also think it comes down to the the fact that, that that's the nice contrast for Conte, is that uh, he's got the option, if you like, to go a bit more direct with someone like Willian and someone like Diego Costa. And I, I also think it's testament to the fact that Willian's been out the side for a, a good few weeks now with personal issues, People have sort of said, well, you know, Moses perform ahead of him. And essentially now we, they've got two really strong players out on that right wing um, or on the, the left wing if they want to swap them over, but more on the right wing, um, who basically make up the best left wing in the league, right? And best right wing in the league. I think that is the best right wing in the league if you look at Aspilicueta, uh, Moses and William. It's hard to think of a better right wing in the league. No, it's hard to disagree with that, I think. Um, I mean... Anyone? No. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. I fully agree. Um, Peter Grouch was actually the first Englishman to score for Stoke in 56 games. How about that? What? Yeah. <laughs> he's back. <laughs> he's back. Uh, he's on top. He is on top. <laughs> um, <laughs> to be fair, though, if it was the British Isles, would Johnny Walters as he? But it's not Dave. It's England. Just wait, no, that wouldn't be right. 
Johnny Wallace is Republic of Ireland. He's from the Republic. Good point. Um, Good point. So yeah, it's, it doesn't matter. First, the football Republic of Ireland games. Um, of course, as you know, uh, Chris mentioned there with that game in hand, Chelsea can equal Arsenal's all-time well, record of fourteen. Jonathan Walters, sorry, what? sorry, guys. Jonathan Walters was born in Merseyside, What's so that is a load of shit. Wait, what are you trying to say, Dave? <laughs> I'm saying that that no, it's all right, mate. Sorry, kids, continue. <laughs> so wait, so wait, Jonathan. But he's Walters... not technically, an, you know, an English. <laughs> technically, murder. Jonathan Walters he... is English. Well, is I mean, it, but, I mean, uh, well, when you say the word technically, whatever you say man? afterwards is true. But I mean, it, <laughs> that's how it works. It, that is true. That is, it, but you, you know what I mean. Technically, that's um, true. Yeah. I mean, yes. Um, so I, I think still, though, Peter Crouch holds this great record. And Peter, yeah. the, the fact is also that Peter Crouch has um, looked much more impressive and made St- uh, Stoke City look much more of an impressive uh, side than um, maybe they looked in previous weeks. He looks, it's that sort of physical, non-physical side of Peter Crouch, which makes him um, such a good asset to the team. I'm also wondering if he's put himself in the shop window, mate. I love how that became contentious. I was expecting just to give a mildly interesting fact, put it out there. (laughs) All of a sudden it becomes a debate. Wait 10 minutes. Um, as Chris alluded to earlier, Chelsea, they've got their game in hand now. Um, they can equal Arsenal's all-time record of 14 consecutive wins against none other than Tottenham Hotspur on Wednesday evening. Uh, Tottenham side will be going into the match high on confidence. They obviously beat Watford yesterday 4-1, consecutive 4-1 wins on the row. Uh, and four wins in a row over the Christmas period. Um I think Spurs starting to hit their stride now. You know, I was saying beforehand about how they'd gone through that difficult period. This was a chance for them to build some form, build some momentum. I think we've seen them play their way uh, into their stride, essentially. Ali and Eriksen obviously contributing with goals. Ali, I think, has got five goals in his last three games in the league. Uh, Harry Kane also close to his best. Um, Two great goals um, against Watford. The less said about the penalty miss against Southampton, the better. Um, And... Obviously, almost everyone, bar Agramella, is now back fit for the squad. So we're, we're, we're better termed, better equipped in terms of the depth of the squad. I mean, Kieran Trippier coming in for the suspended uh, Carl Walker with two great assists against Watford as well. So we're going into the game in a good moment against Chelsea. Um, I doubt the Blues are going to be as obliging as Watford or Southampton. Watford very poor in defence. What, 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 they, what they called Watford was a training match. Yeah. I mean, they uh, looked... They look. It was. They seem to, you know, they they, they seem to to hold firm for 10, 15 minutes, and they seem to throw in the towel after that first goal. Their heads went down. Um, they have got a lot of injuries, a lot of key players missing. To be fair to them, but um, I think Watford fans will be rightly aggrieved that the lack of fight they showed. They seem to just roll over. Essentially, the the, the goals the Spurs scored weren't um, particularly world class. They were just sort of let in by. The Watford defence has to be said. Um, with, but, with regards to preparation for that this game, though, Adam, which is obviously a massive game for both sides, oh, especially, um, do you think it's a little bit unfair that uh, one side gets twenty four hours on the other? Um, do, you, do you find that a little bit weird that, that this whole scheduling thing? You can't just schedule matches. Every team plays. If I mean, the fact is that if you're going to play suchly such closely uh, scheduled games, mm. then twenty four hours does make a difference. Of course, I mean, it's not ideal, and I think Chelsea have had a pretty uh, good time of it over the festive period compared to some other teams. I mean, we'll, we'll come on to to uh, Southampton a little later on, but they've played three fixtures in six days, essentially, which just seems ridiculous. Zero points. You know? 
yeah, which just seems it seems a little bit harsh. Um, hopefully, it won't have too much of an impact. I mean, as I said, we managed to, uh, well, through suspension, managed to rotate likes of Carl Walker, Toby Alderweireld, and um, was in as well. But you know, Kane was obviously brought off late on the game alongside Ali, playing against Watford allowed us to to rest. Uh, some key players in key moments. So hopefully um, we won't see too much of an impact of that. We won't see the, uh, the, the what's the word, fatigue. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, but it is a big game. Well, both, both sides are quite intense in that sense. So Yes. Um, I mean, Dave, how do you see this one playing out? Because three at the back could be something to look out for. Pochino has been experimenting with it. Uh, he played 3-4-2-1 against Watford. I mean, how do you think he should potentially set up at home uh, against this Chelsea side? Well, I think he's got to go with three at the back. I think that is it, uh, Sunderland used that uh, maybe a few weeks ago, and that really caused Chelsea a bit of trouble because it was pretty much man for man. I think Sunderland set up in a 3-4-3 as well. But this Spurs team's really interesting how they play it. It's more of a, I'd say it was more of a 3-5-2 that they played against Watford with... Um, uh, obviously, Lloris in goal, Dyer, Alderweireld, and Vimmer as the back three. Then uh, Wanyama sitting ahead of that. Then obviously Trippier on the right hand side, Ben Davies on the left hand side, and then Eriksson sort of sitting next to Deli Ali. But it was very, very fluid, uh, where one of those players, either Ali and Eriksson, would join um, Son and Harry Kane in in the final third. So it was a really good system, and it will cause Chelsea some problems. I think Chelsea have done well to uh, sort of cover their weakness in a way that they are quite. Essentially, they've got two players in there, you'd say, in central midfield, that this Spurs team will outnumber them in that zone. But then it will also keep the uh, you know the strength going forward with playing Son, who likes to drift wide, and, and Kane, who likes to go wide. I think that was something that Kane did very, very well against Watford. Watford also playing a 3-5-2, but Kane drifted into the sort of inside right channel but, or to, towards the right wing at some times and, and picked up the ball and scored from that position, got an assist from that position. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that back through Chelsea deal with the movement of Kane, deal with the movement of... Son, but also the runners from midfield. Deli Ali is banging in form at the moment. He's very, very confident. Obviously, hit the bar with a with another shot, but scoring twice. And I feel that that could cause Chelsea trouble. Who picks that up? Does uh, Kante track that? Does Matic track that run, or does the one of the back three pick that up? But again, if the back three picks it up, then you're dealing with a three v three at the back that Conte may not want. So it's going to be a great game. And I think the space behind Victor Moses as well could be slightly exploited with Danny Rose's energy and uh, pace going forward if he is fit, because um, he did. Go, did he go off injured or was it just a, a, a giving him a rest, Adam? No, no, he, he he's going to be fit for this one. Um, I think it should be really interesting to see how they're going to match up. I think, as you say, Dave, um, if he does play free at the back, Danny Rose and Carl Walker obviously so important. They've become so integral to the way Spurs do go forward. Um, it does give them license to to bomb up and up the wings. Victor Wanyama can sort of drop back uh, and sort of fill in the hole in defence if needs be. So um, I'm, I'm feeling quite two informed strikers as well. Let's not yes. forget that. Two in-form strikers. Yeah, Diego Costa, always a man to be feared. Um, he's been exceptional. Um, so, Spurs do have the second best defensive record in the league, though. Um, and if we do play three at the back, I'd be confident that... Uh, you Who's know, got the best? Uh, is it Chelsea? No? Probably. I was, I was wondering, I hope you knew. I think, I believe it is, uh, it is Chelsea. Um, but obviously, last time the sides met... Uh, Chelsea winning 2-1 at Stamford Bridge Tottenham I think were low on confidence at that point um, obviously as I said uh, we're in a different moment now it's a chance to make a statement against the top six we have struggled we've only won one um, of the five games Chelsea. we've played so far so you know only really pressing against Man City at home playing at White Hart Lane it is a chance for us to to cut that gap I think it's 10 points at the moment 
um, to try and halt Chelsea's momentum um, and obviously stop them uh, equaling Arsenal's record run. Um, which would be nice. Yeah. Be Thank nice God too. you guys could come along and defend that for Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, oh, it's a bit noise there. Um, <laughs> it's all right, lads, we got you. Oh, for... No, I think given the, the recent history, the fact that Chelsea effectively ended any of our title hopes last season, the fact they ended our unbeaten run this season, I think Spurs fans will be... Uh, and Spurs Actually, will be... Uh, yeah, Spurs, Spurs really... To stop Chelsea. You guys really hate each other, don't you? Uh, yeah, I, you know, we spoke about this on the bonus uh, podcast with Rory Jennings uh, from uh, Chelsea Fans Channel TV, uh, as I believe it's called. Um, I feel like it's sort of, That's it's become very... Uh, it's called Chelsea Fan TV, mate. Is it? I thought it was CFC TV. Maybe it's Chelsea Football Club TV. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Chelsea <laughs> Fans Channel TV is... <laughs> yeah, I think really there's another weird. channel that does that. Um yeah. But yeah, the, the well, animosity could... seems to have grown in recent years. Personally, I think, you know, uh, I don't think the teams ever liked each other, but the last couple of years it has um, has taken up a notch. So it's going to be a tasty, tasty game on Wednesday night. Um, I'm going to go for a Spurs win, I think. I'm feeling it. Right, I think it's going to happen. Um, anyone else care to credit make to a prediction? Credit, credit to you for being so positive. Thank you. Uh, anyone else care to make a bold prediction? Spurs win. Two on Spurs. Oh, get Ooh. in. Chris, what you said? That'll help my documentary. It's at White Hart Lane, isn't it? It is, mate. It is. It is. Uh, 2-0 Chelsea. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Lovely banter. <laughs> moving on. Uh, no, I, I only say that. I don't, I, don't, I don't say that to be facetious. I say it just because I think when Spurs play at White Hart Lane, there can sometimes be a lot of pressure put on the players. And if there's one thing I feel like I've seen consistently with this Chelsea team during the winning run, it's that they seem to handle the mental pressure of things very well. They seem very fortified as a group. And I think if there's a bad start to that game for the, the Spurs players, I think they'll kind of crawl inside themselves, which will, will only kind of push Chelsea on. I'm going to say the complete opposite to Chris and White Hart Lane. It can become like a cold and the atmosphere can be fantastic. Spurs haven't been great on the road this season. There were back-to-back wins against Watford and Southampton, but like I said, they're very obliging opponents. I think at White Hart Lane, that's that's where this season we can hurt the bigger teams and hopefully we can show that against Chelsea. Um, it's going to be tasty. It's going to be very tasty. Um, let's move on to Sunderland-Liverpool, though. A two-all draw, Lawrence. Obviously drop points for the Reds. You could only close the gap on Chelsea to five points. Two penalties for Jermaine Defoe as Sunderland came back from behind twice. Uh, Jurgen Klopp at a loss to explain these dropped points, Lawrence. Um, have you got uh, any explanation? Uh, um, do I have an explanation? Yeah, I think I do. Um, Liverpool... I've th- I thought quite a lot about this over the last few days. Liverpool have the predisposition at the moment still to um, drop games. And it's something that Jurgen Klopp's trying to get rid of. I think... Uh, it's different to the time when they were dropping games against uh, other uh, lower opposition, say, under Brendan Rodgers, um, because I think Klopp is still training this side, and I think what he hasn't sometimes factored in, and I think Pep Guardiola is slightly having a similar experience, is um, the team is playing up, and not only that, but uh, not being able to, uh, not, not having it, a solution for when Liverpool need to break those sides down. Um, and too often, I think Liverpool breathe out very early in games and sort of go, oh, we've scored one, uh, we'll just continue. And then the side comes back and too often that plays out. I think Klopp's trying to 
stop the players from getting into that mentality. Um, but it, it's, it's difficult, especially against sides where you have to battle. I think, uh, I can't remember who was that referenced it. Uh, it may even have been Jürgen Klopp himself talking about the FA Cup-esque sort of um, feeling around some of these sides when sides play up um, to the bigger teams. I don't think Liverpool necessarily have a way of dealing with that right now. Having said that, there are still some positives in there. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that Liverpool still play uh, some lovely, lovely attacking football. Coutinho is still to come back, uh, considering he's been out for this time. Mane played uh, reasonably well. I still think he's trying to find a, a better spot than that. Lalana had a good game. I don't think Liverpool looked as solid at the base of midfield without um, the partnership that Henderson normally has uh, with the likes of Wijnaldum in there. Um, and overall, I think there were small conspiring factors, which meant that Liverpool uh, didn't come away with the win. Not only that, I do think Liverpool were lucky at times not to have goals scored against them. Uh, Jermaine Defoe broke through. Mignolet looks a lot more commanding in his box, came off the line um, excellently to come out and smother uh, Jermaine Defoe. And also, uh, I think it was Emre Chan who had his arm out and the ball quite clearly hit his arm and could have been called as a penalty. So Liverpool lucky to get away with a 2-2 draw here. Um, people question why I, time after time, criticise Liverpool after games. And I still think that there's a lot to work on for this Liverpool team, uh, not least the complacency. Yeah, it sounds like you, you're sort of accusing them of a, um, a naivety in a way. Um, I, I, do think, I don't think it's naive. I think it's that they don't quite have a solution for the problems that are being presented yet. Um, and I, I, you sort of heard similar post-match interviews from Klopp and Pep Guardiola, who both seemed a little bit um, confused as to why they were having to stand there and tell the journalist, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but, do you think I mean, the, Liverpool the were... got the result today? I know you um, point and to Klopp, the... And, and Klopp made the point. Uh, that, that Pep maybe should have made, which was Liverpool, they would feel different if they got away with, with a win, but ultimately they still would have made the same mistakes. I know obviously you pointed to the, the Emery Chan handball as a, as a sign Liverpool were perhaps slightly fortunate, but at the same time, Liverpool created a lot of chances. Um, I think it was 21 shots in total they had during the game. Um, Manone obviously put in a, a great performance. Do you not think that is a... But do you not think that's a, an encouraging sign, something to look towards in terms of, okay, Liverpool unlucky. Uh, you're saying Liverpool un, were lucky not to lose, but were they? is it not really the other way around? I mean, you, could, you like you say, you could paint it either way. I think um, if you're looking to improve, then you'll probably say that Liverpool were uh, lucky not to lose. Um, I also think that you know, if, if Liverpool are looking to become a title-winning side or a side that were challenging for the title, then it's games like these where you say they were lucky not to lose, not unlucky not to win. And I think people mistake uh, maybe realistic criticism for criticism uh, of a side just for the sake of it. I think Klopp still isn't happy with the team. And I think as long as that happens, then uh, that there should be other people who are not happy with the side. I think he, he realistically also sees that Liverpool not they aren't playing particularly well at the moment. Um, and I see where Sturridge uh, fits into this side. I also mm. see that he causes issues sometimes because the movement is different to any other player that Liverpool have on the team. And sometimes that's a positive uh, for an impact sub, say, when they've been used to Origi and Mane and whoever else running at them. But starting a game, it can be a little bit difficult sometimes because it means that sometimes attacks break down too early or they're looking to get the ball into a position which maybe the side's not set up to do. Yeah, um, it's funny with Sturridge so that no matter the option on, he, he goes to shoot almost always. But having said that, he did look dangerous. Um, he did create a few chances, 
did suffer an injury though, um, disappointing having been his first start since October. Mm. Obviously, we're not sure how long he's out for yet. I believe. So weak. Uh, how, what was that? Day? It's so weak. It was like it was like nothing. It was a nothing challenge. Yeah, but Dave, come on. Like, that, I think, but it just I mean, it, it, it looked. That it really looked like he just didn't fancy it. Like his body language was. He took the knock, and that was it. He's done. It was re- it was really odd. Like it was a really odd thing. He, he walked off the pitch. Like he looked absolutely fine, and he was just like, right, "I'm done." And potentially, it's going back to that mental thing. You know, that mental block that he had before about his injuries and so forth. Which he doesn't know what pain is and what is serious pain. You know, that's the problem. You agree with that, Lawrence? I mean, I think, <laughs> a bit of a I harsh think, assessment, or I mean, I, I also think that, that that you can conflate people's comments. I um, you know, just it wasn't nothing. What you would generally call a nothing challenge, um, but then. And like you say, uh, it, it probably is classed as weak. Uh, I do also have sympathy for Sturridge because he, he has been through some fairly um, serious injuries, which he's had to come back from. I, I still go back to the the idea that I think people treat different players differently. And I think Sturridge sometimes gets harsh treatment. And I think sometimes he struggles with that. Um, uh, it's it, six and one half a dozen of the other with Sturridge. I think he causes some of his own problems. Uh, mentally, uh, that's very difficult to comment on because obviously every player is different. I also think, therefore, some players will deliberately go into storage harder um, and he leaves himself open to that. And I think Klopp is trying to counter that. Um, whether it will be effective or not, I don't know. I, I think it also makes it difficult to sell a player like storage for the mm. price that maybe you would want because to say to a team, you know, you're getting a consistent striker here would be a lie. Um, you know, he's, he's one of the five, he's, he beat Fernando Torres to 50 goals at Liverpool. That's no mean feat. He's beaten a number of top players to 50 goals at Liverpool. And there's a reason why. Um, I also just think maybe if he went to another side and maybe it's a good time for him to move to another team, that's not me saying I want him to leave. Then it would, it would be a good time for him to go because, um, you know, it, it's very clear that there are certain aspects of his game that don't fit into this Liverpool team. It is also that Liverpool maybe then would need to find a replacement and that could be a trickier task than selling Daniel Sturridge. Mm, could be a pressing issue if Sturridge does leave and obviously with, with Mane, Mane off to the African Cup of Nations, you know, um, they could need Arig- to Arigi's done a very attack. reasonable job. Yeah. Arigi's done a good job. I like Arigi. Um, I like some, Divock. Some don't. Uh, who, who, who doesn't, mate? I'm not saying who names. Right. I don't say names. Uh, is he better than Anthony Martial, though? That's the question. Anyway, Chris, um, let's talk about Sunderland. Uh, David Dave, Moyes. do you not like Divock Arigi? <laughs> Oh, I like him. I, just don't think he's any, I don't think he's as good as uh, Anthony Martial. Oh, I should have, should, have, should have mentioned it. Shouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> Another contentious stop point. Stop stirring it. Sorry. Um, Your New Year's resolution should be stop, stop stirring, stirring the pot uh, of hate. I no, talk, no, keep stirring it. I don't want to stir the pot of hate. I want to talk about Sunderland, guys. Um, Chris, David Moyes, surely will be pleased with this performance um, coming off the back of a, a dismal 4-1 defeat at Burnley. Yeah, massively. And... and <clears throat> in so many ways, that's what made it all the more bizarre that he chose to get on the defensive in his his press conference afterwards and talk about the fact that you know if he was German, that maybe he would be kind of hailed for for what he's doing. I, I just I do I think he's a weird man. Um, I think he's a, a bizarre man that seems to find um, consistent paranoia within everything that he does and everything that's said to him. Um, in terms of of Sunland, I think you can't 
stress enough how much they've improved, though, when you consider how many players they've got out injured as well. Jan Kirchhoff, um, Jordan Pickford, these are all kind of key players for some of them that are missing, and they're still managing to pick up points. And that's that's really the most important thing, is that as long as you can keep improving that points total, that's all that matters. Now, unfortunately, they'll miss Didier and Dong when he goes away to the, the African Cup of Nations. Um, I think he was, was fantastic against uh, Liverpool. He's, he, he really is someone that's still growing, still developing. He's, he's very raw in that sense. Um, but I think he he is well suited to the Premier League as a, as a player in general. But overall, yeah, a fairly solid performance and, and one that they might look at as, as having scraped something. But I don't think they'll care if it keeps them up at the end of the season. I, I think they, they did exactly the right things against Liverpool. Um, and... At times, their play looked as good as Liverpool and matched it. Um, looked nice and expansive. I think Jermaine Defoe is turning into uh, one of the elder statesmen of the game in England, um, or he has already turned into that. And I think uh, some of his comments after the game sounded really well measured and exactly the kind of thing that you want to hear from someone who's so prominent in the side. And, and David Moyes should look to players like that because uh, you know it's it's very rare that someone who can be so downbeat. Um, has someone who seems so measured in his comments. Yeah, good result, I think. Um... <laughs> yeah, whatever, good result. <laughs> but it's a good result considering the injury problems. I know David Moyes doesn't help himself, but uh, you know they've got home games back-to-back now against Stoke next and Burnley. Um, chance for revenge on Burnley, of course. Um, maybe build some momentum as they look to extend their 10-year stay in the Premier League. But speaking of managers not helping themselves with their post-match comments um we do have to talk about Pep Guardiola who's caused a bit of a stir I think it's fair I to think. say Lawrence he's, he's caused a stir um Man City winning 2-1 uh, today against Burnley they're up to third a narrow win though um another red card a third for Fernandinho this season which made things difficult uh, for the hosts but after the game Guardiola in an interview with BBC didn't exactly seem delighted despite getting the three points it was a slightly yeah, awkward interview yeah. if you haven't seen it I do recommend checking it out it was I think, it is the, the definition of passive-aggressive, I think. Uh, very short answers. Um, really not happy with uh, Rob Palmer from the BBC. That's uh, <laughs> questions. Um, I, don't, I don't know if he was on that. Do you really think he was on that? I think it, he came across more as just sort of um, brooding and sort of um, frustrated. Than well, anything, because it was. It, I, think, I actually think Rob Palmer did a good job of interviewing oh, him. Like he clearly took him down a good um, alley and asked all the right questions and didn't seem to duck any um, question. The only thing I thought was frustrating was he didn't, he didn't press him and you slightly want to see him press him a little bit, don't you? you he changed the subject quite nicely sometimes uh, and Pep got away with it. Yeah. It, it, I think it's not, it's nothing new. Pep Guardiola, I think we know this is attitude. He, he is quite passive aggressive with the way he deals with the media. But I just feel like it doesn't really help him. I don't think it gives a good impression. And I thought what was interesting afterwards was that the journalist Rob Palmer said, you know, Guardiola said to him specifically after the interview, it's nothing personal. And Palmer described him as a man on a mission. I mean, what do you think he's trying to accomplish, potentially, Lawrence, by behaving in this manner in post-match interviews? Well, I, I think he's first of all showing his frustration. Um, and I think certain journalists are going to be sympathetic with that because actually I think um, what Guardiola realises is what he's giving uh, the BBC there is excellent copy um, and also an excellent interview that a lot of people will go and look at. Um, and to some extent, that is, that's part of the relationship that currently exists between uh, the managers and 
the press is that it's sort of like, well, you're going to give us a good soundbite. And Pep Guardiola has just given him sort of one long soundbite, if you like, or sort of very, uh, something in that sense is quite meanable. Um, and so Rob Palmer is going to be quite happy because it makes him look quite good. Um, uh, and so to, to that, to that end, essentially, he's sort of keeping the press on side by showing his real frustration. And some people are going to appreciate it because some people think, well, maybe you should have been more measured after the game. But some press will also say, well, um, at the same time, it's about image management. And, and if he's... You know- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If he keeps the press happy, then the press will report him more favorably. And therefore, actually, this was a good move from Pep because um, Pep will have won some people over with what seems like quite a raw, honest expression of... Uh, Pep's emotion. Well, here's a short transcript. Uh, I'll play the role of Pep Guardiola, Lawrence. Uh, you, <coughs> you can be uh, journalist Rob Palmer. Okay. Uh, okay. You, you go. Everyone. Okay. Just everyone just get into their characters. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Pep, your thoughts on the game? We won. We are so happy. Would you like to expand upon that? No, it's enough. It was an emotive day, um, wasn't it, for the players, for the fans, and for the manager as well. Yes. Happy New Year. Expand upon that. <laughs> and that's what I find funny is he says, yes, Happy New Year. And then he goes, yeah, expand upon that. Um, tell me, first of all, about the red card. And this is where I think Rob Palmer did well. He, he sort of, he managed to move it away from that awkwardness and sort of towards the weakness um, of Fernandinho. So he can, he's sort of giving, it, this is, I think, the problem here is he's giving Pep Guardiola the chance to deflect. And that's what my character motivation is. Um, okay. Yeah, what were your thoughts on the red card? Uh, you are the journalist. You can see it, and you can explain it. Well, I don't get. I don't get paid to explain it. I, I get paid to ask you. Me neither. I'm here about the games, uh, not the red cards, and so on. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, I, I kind of went for a weird French-Dutch hybrid there towards the end. No, it was fantastic. Um, it, re- it really was you. a classic Ronald. Coon. Thank you. I've um, got some good news and bad news for you. Oh, go yeah. on. Good news is you can do a Tom Jones impression. <laughs> <laughs> Bad news is you can't do a Pep Guardiola one. It was Pep Guardiola, really by was the way, the of Tom Jones. It was. Uh, uh, okay. I'm glad that you picked up on that, Chris. It, Thank you. It was Tom Jones playing Pep Guardiola. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, Badly. Anyway, so there you have it. Very terse. Um, Chris, I mean, what did you. Aside from the Tom Jones impersonation, trample the outside of your head uh, for a moment. 
what do you make of Please. Pep Guardiola? Because this feels like a, it's starting to become a running theme that you know the the British media and particularly the British public and football fans are starting to realise that this is Pep Guardiola's character in press conferences and the like, and they don't seem too receptive towards it. It's been that way for a while, though. It was that way in Germany. It was that way in Spain. I, I think. I think in in some ways there's a different expectation from the the press in England. I think you're as a coach, as a player, you're almost expected to to play the game a bit more in inverted commas, kind of be a bit more friendly, be a bit more willing to talk about things in depth and every opportunity. And I, I just think today, honestly, having watched the the exchange, I think he's just frustrated. I think he's looking at it as a, a poor performance, and and that's. Whether that's right or wrong, I think that's how he gauges where the team is at in terms of its its timeline, is that he is in so many ways a perfectionist and wants to see a step forward with every game that passes. And if he doesn't see that, then he's, he's going to have that bleed over into his, his post-match. Now, whether that's professional or whether that's acceptable, I think as long as he answers the questions, that's all you can really ask of him. Um, I, I think... Certainly, it's it's awkward for for someone in his in Rob Palmer's position, um, or for any media person in that position. I don't think it changes the fact that, again, he asked very good questions, so you can't follow his end. Um, the difficulty is, is that sometimes he he just won't want to talk, and you have to kind of just accept that. He also came out afterwards, apparently, and spoke about how uh, he's going to be at Man City for three years, but this is the beginning of the end of his career in some ways he's on the way to retirement already um, which people seem to seize upon and and find quite quite interesting quite strange really Um, on the pitch though Dave um, as I said Fernandinho with his third red card of the season no real arguments there I think uh, in terms of that sending off but again as Chris says there uh, Guardiola frustrated with another middling potentially performance from from Man City yeah, definitely the levels that Pep Guardiola had got in the first uh, what eight games when when City were running away with the title, it, it appeared to be it's, they've just not got to that same point. And I think there is some issues in there. You know, the midfield, obviously, Fernandinho. What a what a crazy thing to do! How many times do players need to know that you can't jump off your feet and try and win the ball front on? It's a technical issue. Well, you can't. If you, Marcus obviously, but Marcus Rowe was <laughs> trying to get off for Christmas, wasn't he? He was trying to be like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll go sorry. back to Argentina. Get some decent beef or something like that. Well, there, yeah, are a few, they, there are a few instances where Marcus Rojo has gotten away with outrageous there's tackles. Two, there's, two, yeah. there's two in December where he should have been given a straight red card. And it was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible challenge for Marcus Rojo. But yeah, I don't understand why. He's mental. He's absolutely crazy. He does all that. You know, he does crazy things every game. But Fernandinho is quite a, a, he's quite a calculated footballer. He's a, he's a ball player. He understands the game. He understands where to move. Three red cards this season for Fernandinho. It's mental. I don't, I don't understand that link between him losing his plot and him being that, uh, you know, Fernandinho that we love to watch. So it was, it's been a big issue for Manchester City. But I think the thing that would, you know, went well for them today was obviously uh, Guardiola dropping Sergio Aguero or not playing Sergio Aguero following his suspension and then bringing him off the bench because he looked very, very hungry. Uh, him, De Bruyne and Sterling were looking very, 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 very good on the counter-attack in that second half. Arguably should have scored a few more goals together. But yeah, City, it looks a bit odd because Burnley potentially could have won that game. Andre Gray had two big chances in the last 10 minutes. Ashley Barnes missed a pretty easy header, I think it was. So 
Mm. There is problems with the city side, um, and obviously Pep having to go back to Yaya Torre because Gundogan's injured, because Fernandinho is now suspended. He's got Fernando, um, who's not the greatest ball player, and not not a Guardiola player in my personal opinion. In terms, of he does not that smart upstairs in terms of that where he's playing the pass. So it's going to be tough in the next few weeks without Fernandinho again because he's probably going to get he's going to get an extended ban on what they had last time. So he's in a bit of a mess, Pep Guardiola, and he will have to have to think of another solution to this problem because against Liverpool City again were very very poor playing a bit of a silly formation playing that back three the two defensive midfielders and it just doesn't work mm. doesn't work it is worth saying that Liverpool um, that Liverpool game was a bit of a weird one Liverpool played it very well um, but at the same time were also let off by City numerous times feeling yeah but Liverpool you know they, they did what they had to do they nicked that goal at a brilliant well, that counter attack was absolutely fantastic and I think yeah. the thing that uh, made me feel a bit more afraid uh, of Liverpool winning the title was that they looked defensively looked quite organised and strong after they got that lead and I think that's something Liverpool need to do and that's what they didn't do against Sunderland today unfortunately that's why I didn't understand why they didn't do it but against so Sunderland it was, so it was I mean the, the, the big problem for Liverpool is uh, and I think that what Liverpool dealt with quite well was they had Clavan and Lovren at the back and again they they had that um, against Sunderland but the problem was that Sunderland attacked it attacked Liverpool's shape in a very different way um, and I think in many ways City played into Liverpool's hands um, and allowed Clavan and Lovren to, to read the play quite nicely. Uh, whereas when you body up against Liverpool, they don't like it. As for Liverpool's crosstown rivals, Everton, a big win for them. 3-0 against Southampton. Ronald Koeman against his former club, of course. Dave, uh, substitute Enna Valencia, the inspiration for them as they extend their unbeaten run to an amazing three games. <laughs> yeah, and Valencia made a decent impact coming off the bench, but I think it was all about Lukaku and finding Lukaku's feet. I think that's something Everton have potentially struggled with in recent and uh, before this little run of form was getting ever getting Lukaku back involved in the play. Um, you go to all of the goals, Lukaku plays a part in it. Absolutely fantastic pull up play for the first goal, getting the ball wide, um, and obviously having the header on the target that saved and the rebounds put in. And you go to the third goal, absolutely brilliant. What a goal that is. Lukaku, absolutely perfect. Obviously, Southampton making an error at the back, but Lukaku letting the ball run across him and smashing it into the top of the goal. I think if they can continue building this team around Lukaku, but playing to his strengths. He isn't a traditional target man, but he's quite he's getting quite good at um, when players when you know they ping the ball into the into his feet and he runs and they run off him and then he finds them. So th- there's definitely strengths there, and that's what Ronald Koeman needs to do. Identify those strengths and push on. What about Southampton, though? It's three defeats in a row now for them, uh, conceding nine. A uh, miserable Christmas and New Year. Claude after the game, pointing to the fact three fixtures in six days, as I mentioned earlier, hasn't You didn't win the first one, mate. You what? He didn't win the first one, though, did he, mate? He didn't win the first one? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? You can't, say he had, you can't say three fixtures in six days and then say, uh, you, you, didn't win, you didn't do anything on the first fixture. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's a good point, Lawrence. That it's all about that first one. But in terms of the the next, well, yeah, two, but you can't. You can't say they're feeling the effects, Lawrence. They're fresh dead on, on their the first feet one. out there. They're dead on their feet. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. The first one, they've got no excuses. But he's saying yeah. now they're feeling the effects. Obviously, they got hammered by Spurs four-one at home. Um, this is another embarrassing defeat, I think, uh, in terms of the uh, how comfortable Everton were. Essentially, um, I know the first game. Perhaps they should perform better, but I mean, you were saying it yourself earlier, Lawrence. It's, it's, it's harsh to ask a, a team to play that many games, no? 
Well, the problem is it is also narrow. It's uh, it was narrow against West Brom, um, and they will they'll they'll feel hard done by um, numerous occasions. Um, and then obviously to be without Van Dijk is also a big challenge for them. So there's number again number of small factors which probably made quite a big difference to this team. Um, but no one felt it more, like you say, than um, than the Southampton side who played the most number of fixtures in the shortest amount of time. And again, mm. it feels really unfair. It does. Um, I mean, Dave. Lawrence mentioned there they're missing Van Dijk. Do you think it could get worse for them with uh, the, the former Celtic player continuing to be linked to a move away from Southampton? I mean, are they really going to sell him mid-season? Or do you think, you know, they can't really turn down if Chelsea, if Man City, say, come in with the sort of money that's being rumoured? We're talking 50, maybe even 60 million. Uh, if I were them, I'd hold on to him because he's a top, top player and he's going to be going to one of the, the creme de la creme clubs of European football, but you massively saw him not being there today, how poorly they were at the back. You know, you look at the penalty incident, so they, they lacked that coolness that Van Dijk sort of brings. You, you know, he's not diving in. Yoshida, as soon as he saw the ball, he went in and, and you know, cleaning out Enna Valencia, instant penalty, very, very stupid. And then the third goal again, Jose Font bringing the ball out the back. That's another thing that um, Van Dijk does very well, is bring the ball out the back. And with Font having to having to be that player and be that man who's hit some pretty poor form. You know, there's been rumours that post-European uh, Championship win that his attitude is, isn't good enough anymore, Jose Font. He's not trying in training. And it's, his performances have been reflected on the pitch this season. And again, he was so, so poor bringing the ball out. Instantly, Everton turn it over and then they score from that, like the score from the next play. So both in terms of the, the rashness of the two centre-backs and then they're, they're lacking their ability and decision-making. That's what Van Dijk is. He's the perfect player in terms of decision-making um, both in a defensive sense and in an offensive sense when he's carrying the ball. So, again, massively missed. And if he does leave Southampton in the you know in this in this uh, winter window, big 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 problems for Ronald Koeman. Sixth. Wow. Um, uh, sorry. Claude. 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 <laughs> Ronald Koeman won't. He won't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> Sixty million though. Can you imagine for Van Dyke? That would be pretty sensational. Um, What's money? Carlos Tevez, seventy-two million. He's thirty-two years old. Yeah, that one's. Uh, that one's. It's also very weird because when you listen to Tim Vickery talk about it, it's such a such an unusual situation that Carlos Tevez finds himself in because he said, oh, "I never want to leave. I don't want to have to. Don't want to go." Um, say no, though. Said how money, much? Money could never get rid of. Uh, money could never take away the love that I have for this club. And then nothing. That much money, though. <laughs> Crikey. I mean, to be yeah. fair. Apparently, he got married in recent. He just got married, and then also was burgled the same time he was getting married. Mm. It was renewing his vows with his childhood sweetheart. That's what it was. Yeah, because hey. he had been um, he'd been caught playing away, no. and so he renewed his vows. But the whole thing reminds me of that scene moving to China. Will help that <laughs> with with Darren the Lamb, where they ri- where they ring up and he says how much? Come on, more than sense, mate. Yeah, yeah, very true. Oh, you can't begrudge Tevez that, but um, no, you can't. I mean, he's been a if fantastic he does stay, though, The thing is that um, there was a report coming around today that the Chinese club in question have paid a decent transfer fee to Boca Juniors as well. And if he doesn't stay oh, the full yeah. two years, Boca have to pay a good portion of that fee back to the Chinese club. Very interesting. Axel Witzel's the next one, apparently, on his way. Um, yeah, he's yeah. gone for 20 million. Has he? Fair play. Yeah. Um, Fair play. Yeah, Tevez is now, is he the fourth, third most no, expensive player in the world? No, mostly, uh, in terms of his, tra- his transfer fee was, as Dave said, was it 70 million or something? Crazy? 72, apparently. <sighs> Jesus. All rumours. Uh, those are the rumours. Um, 
We rate them so they are oh, right. Okay. Guys, let's talk about West Brom. They comfortably Lawrence? beat Hull City 3-1. How many Carlos is this out of five? Oh, Dave. Um, first of all, it's very rude to steal someone else's um, punchline. Um, <laughs> this format's totally different. It's got a green buzzer. That's very good. We <laughs> lovely behind-the-scenes football fans. <laughs> Oh, um, inside baseball. Um, guys. I give it, I give it, I give it uh, five. I'd say he's, he's going to go to China. Mm. <laughs> he's really gone. Um, listen. Oh, mate. Was, was I right or was I right? As interesting as Carlos Tevez is. He's not actually. Um, he's on his honeymoon. I want to talk about West Brom, guys. I want to talk about Tony Pulis. Pulis. They've secured back-to-back wins West Brom for only the second time this season. A uh, 3-1 win against Hull after a resurgent second-half performance. Uh, feels like they're maybe going under the radar a little bit. Uh, they're now on 29 points. They're, they are 10 points off the top six, but as I said, uh, the top six are becoming a, a little bit of a mini-league in their own right. They're only one point behind Everton, though, in seventh. Who wants to show West Brom and Tony Pulis some love? Come on, guys. Who doesn't, mate? Um, There's only Tony. one man, Adam. There's only one man. Yeah. Yeah, send over, mate. Come on, then. <laughs> Come on, then. Well, I think this season's shown that the, the old dogs still have some tricks left, obviously, with David Moyes uh, doing all right with Sunderland, pulling, out, pulling a few poor performances out of the bag. But Tony Pulis at West Brom. West Brom have been one of the form sides in the last month and a half in the Premier League, and they look so good going forward in terms of what they do. And it's crossed the ball. It's simple. It's effective. It's what Tony Pulis has done his whole career. Target man up top. And then a tricky winger to get crosses into the box. And it's simple. With Matty Phillips, they've got a player that's in form. Only Kevin De Bruyne has more assists in the Premier League this season than Matty Phillips. Wow. I think he's finally maturing as a player. And he's two, the two crosses for the goal, both from corners, both from set pieces. But they were classic Tony Pulis goals. You go back and look at the stats. Tony Pulis, Stoke, were one of the, one of the most effective teams from set pieces. They, they, every single season, they'd be top scorers from set pieces. And now we're seeing that at West Brom. So I think it's it's Tony Pulis uh, weaving his magic again and building a side that can uh, that can attack that is a little bit more interchangeable. You know, you've got the likes of Chadley in there as well, and obviously uh, Robson Carnu that came on, James Morrison, Rondon. It's looking like a very very strong side, and what a side that's definitely going to be in the top half of the Premier League come the end of the season. I just love it. Tony's back, love it. David's back, and Big Sam all together finally as one weaving their magic yeah, in many ways. All of them with their temporary fixes that we love so much. Yeah. Um, finally, today we had Middlesbrough drawing nil-nil with Leicester City at home. Um, I thought I'd put the time in to watch this one, so you know I could talk about this Good game. One. Seriously, really, <laughs> uh, really lucky, terrible mate. game. A uh, handful of half chances, not much else. Um, most interesting incident probably was in the first half. Middlesbrough probably should have had a penalty when Robert Hoof checked uh, Adam Atrore, um, Hoof admitting as much that uh, the, the decision was lucky, essentially, for Leicester. But overwhelming sense that both sides lacked the final idea, the final ball, um, that clinical edge to make the most of the chances they had. A point will do both teams, though. Borough now four clear uh, of the bottom three. Leicester six clear, although they're now obviously going to be without Riyad Mahrez until potentially early February because of the African Cup of Nations. He did look like the most dangerous player for the champions, uh, a potential outlet for them. So it could be a blow, although Jamie Vardy, of course, is returning from injury. Let's finally, before we close out the podcast, let's preview tomorrow's games. Three Premier League games uh, going on. First up, Arsenal playing again tomorrow at Bournemouth. Um, We should probably talk uh, about their previous result, though, against Crystal Palace, Dave. Um, 
all anyone's talking about from this one is, of course, Olivier Giroud's finish for the opener. Where'd you sit on this one? Is it better than Mkhitaryan's, which doesn't count anyway because it was offside? Uh, I think they're both good goals in their own right. Um, I quite like what Olivier Giroud did. I think it's a slightly different goal in a way that Mkhitaryan was probably more of a, a scorpion kick where he was going to ground and his legs were coming over, whereas mm. Giroud was more of maybe a volleyed back heel. But they were both absolutely fantastic <laughs> goals. I think we can't take... I think they're both good in their own right. Um, I'm not sure uh, which one's... Sh- I, I like Giroud's, mate. Just Any like day of the week is Olivier Giroud's. Mate, the, the, the overall move for Olivier Giroud... In sensation. Um, but then the, the originality of what um, Mkhitaryan originally, because I feel like Giroud's just ripped Giroud him off. Giroud just copied he? it. He was inspired, <laughs> wasn't he? I think Giroud saw it, in tra- saw it on the, and then in training has obviously been practicing yeah, but Giroud's that. went off the bar. Any goal that goes in off the bar is It's also that, yeah, but yeah, all right, Mark, Mark Chapman. It's also that um, <laughs> the, 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 the fact that Giroud is not the most likable character. Mkhitaryan oh. is a likable character, no, despite his Manchester United Mate, I'm I'm reffing by the the player, not the situation. All right, it, it's true. Mkhitaryan's a likable guy. Giroud is. Um... Giroud's quite likable. What's wrong with him? Apart from that time that he cheated on his girlfriend. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, I like Olivier Giroud. I think you know he, he came into the team. And he took his chance. What a fantastic goal! You know. I guarantee you that if next week he misses three chances, Arsenal fans will be calling oh, for him yeah. to go. Yeah, get, get rid, lad. Uh, get rid. He's not worth it. Either way, spectacular goal. I thought it was a nice touch that um, obviously uh, Giroud scoring that goal in January. December's goal of the month was awarded to Henrik Mkhitaryan, of course, for that uh, scorpion kick. But he also shared the honour uh, with Bradley Lowry, I believe. Um who was obviously a cancer victim, a Sunderland fan, who came on and scored a penalty against Asmir Begovic, I believe, earlier in the month. So a nice gesture there to see them share the Goal of the Month award. Um, Olivier Giroud, pretty much a lock for January, I think. Um, either way, they are playing Eddie Howe's side uh, tomorrow. Uh, they obviously beat Asmir Begovic, he's having a tough time of it. He is indeed. Um, obviously, they beat Swansea 3 on New Year's Eve. Bournemouth been very inconsistent, though. Chris, are you going to back Arsenal to make it three wins in a row on this one? Um, who are they facing? Bournemouth. Big Bournemouth. Inconsistent Bournemouth, you know, up and down. Yeah, Arsenal. that's Putting the problem. The run they, together. Are, they are inconsistent, and they're going to be missing Jack Wilsh as well, which is him. I'm going to say, yeah, they. I'm going to say they do it. Olivier Giroud with another scorpion kick, no doubt. Um, but yeah, um, how do you think this is the next big trend? What scorpion kicks? It is yeah. pretty, it is pretty ridiculous to have two in this in this space of one week. Um, I tell you what, if, if Wayne Rooney scores a scorpion kick, we will reopen the debate as to whether Wayne Rooney is truly over. <laughs> um, if, if he scored a scorpion kick, it would truly prove all those doubters wrong. Oh yeah. Um, what's what you like better, an overhead kick or a scorpion kick? What's more impressive? I, I don't know, man. The, the, Giroud, the way that Giroud touches that ball for that scorpion kick and. Just it's the it's like the something that hurling of a heel. I can't help but feel that the scorpion kick, as impressive as it is, uh, as majestic as it is, there is also an element of luck. Yeah, but that's the same. Are, with, it's the same with overhead kicks. No, right? if you do an it, overhead kick, you are facing the way you go. You know what you're doing. Your your body shape's all about kicking it where you're going to kick it. Apart from Wayne Rooney, who shinned it. Um, but with a scorpion with, kick, the, the, I feel you don't know a hundred percent where it's going to go. I feel like. You know? Yeah, but I feel like you know. I mean, Giroud knew what he was doing. Do you know what I mean? So it's he the same knew. as with. It's no. I mean, that's. Mm, but you know, it's, I mean, it has more of an element of luck than a bicycle kick than a scissor kick. You know. 
yeah, there's, there's more elements of luck, but then maybe that makes you more daring. And it's also the perfect combination of overhead kick and diving header. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Because yeah, it looks cool. like a diving header, but it is essentially a kick from over the head. Although sometimes it, you could call it a level head kick. Mm, I think just scorpion kick would be. Uh, if Arsenal do win this one, what an incredible play. level head kick! <laughs> uh, Arsenal, they can jump ahead of Manchester City. They can go back to third in the table if they do win this one against Bournemouth. Um, so they'll be looking to get three points against the Cherries. Also tomorrow, Crystal Palace against Swansea. Big Sam still looking for his first win. You would probably count on them. Uh, getting the three points here, though, Lawrence, against the Swansea side, who are showing no signs of recovery, not until, potentially, Paul Clement comes in. He is set to take the job uh, at Swansea. Bayern gave him permission uh, to talk about the vacant manager position. Has apparently agreed uh, a three-year deal. So, until then, um, you're not going to give much hope to Swansea in this one, am I right? Yeah, I mean, this is the, the game that Big Sam will be have earmarked to win uh, i liked his comments the other day where he said um post-match we won't know until march whether we're gonna whether it's gonna be a difficult season or not and i thought you've really bought yourself time there that is lovely um but yeah credit to him uh and also now this podcast utterly resents swansea because of the way no. they treated our yeah. bob do we resent so, swansea we do they of the way they treated bob okay okay that's the official you hope they get relegated. <laughs> harsh, harsh, but fair. Should have given oh, him a window. Should have given him a window. Um, Should have at least a window, but instead they showed him the door. Paul Clement, though, interesting appointment, Dave. Uh, from his point of view, I'm not quite sure why he's taken it because I feel like his, uh, yeah, in many ways, and I feel like his re- reputation is delicately poised. You know, he's obviously a very successful number two with Carlo Ancelotti. Worked at him at a number of clubs. Um, obviously previously managed at Derby but this you know this could be the sort of job that defines your managerial career you know Ryan Giggs potentially would have been I don't think he would have taken this job even if it was offered to him because you know he could be the man that takes Swansea down could that be the case for Paul Clement? Yeah it's a ticking time but I wouldn't take the job I'd stay at Bayern Munich and win the Champions League with Carlo Ancelotti again it's absolutely crazy but yeah I think that with Paul Clement the Derby job was kind of a good job and it didn't kind of work out there for you know whatever reason and this is a difficult one if he keeps Swansea up he's, a, he's an absolute messiah maybe he'll have to loan some players from Bayern Munich in the uh, the window maybe that's what Carlo and uh, Alonso yeah, Chabby Alonso Thomas Muller <laughs> maybe that's the deal yeah realistic um, interesting appointment though um, I like Paul Clement I wish him the best um, but I think it's a very difficult job to take on as Bob Brownley Bob Bradley I should say Oh, Brownlee. Um, yes. <laughs> final game tomorrow. Stoke City against Watford. Um, a Watford side who haven't won in four. Stoke side who haven't won in five. Feel like Mark Hughes is starting to come under pressure. Lawrence, um, he had a reasonably successful run earlier in the season. Um, a lot of uh, expectation potentially placed upon Stoke after that. But now, as I said, without a win in five, you feel like they need this one, don't they, at home? Yeah, um, although I still think they've afforded themselves time because of the performances they put in during those games. They've run a lot of those sides very close. Um, and uh, the the position they find themselves in, um, in the table, means, is it really that bad? Yeah, it is, actually. Yeah, they're, they're on 21 points, uh, six ahead of Sunderland. To be fair, um, they played Arsenal... Liverpool yeah, Arsenal, and Chelsea Liverpool, in that run. Chelsea, yeah. So that's the problem, essentially, is that uh, in, in those games when they could have been rebounding, 
um, they've actually expended a lot of energy on just uh, losing games. Um, so maybe some people would say that Mark Hughes is unrealistic for trying to do that, but at the same time they would have castigated him um, if he hadn't have rotated somewhat, brought Crouch into the side um, and essentially given themselves a good um, idea excuse me, idea of what they are going to do uh, against Watford. And I actually think Crouch will be much more effective um, against the likes of Watford than he was against some more experienced defences. And I think if Stokes score first in this one, we might see a similar thing happen uh, than what happened against Arsenal. Well, guys. Eunice Cabal. Like, that's just what we're going <laughs> to end on. Hey, he the scored. Can't he can't defend, but he did score against Spurs. You know? Did you uh, see his defending? Was it, was it the... Third goal where yeah, he, he, he makes a terrible, terrible error, you know, should really kill the ball and clear it, messes up and then defensively just stays where he is. Doesn't make any recovery movement, just stands still. Those fans found that quite uh, delicious, I'm going to say, because he, he sort of called out Pochettino ahead of the game saying that uh, he hadn't shown him any respect before he shipped him off. Um, and I think, you know, Spurs fans sort of said, that's probably why, mate. Because you know, well, I mean, he was also part of the bomb squad, as they called him <laughs> Famously, at, uh, yes. at Spurs. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wasn't. He wasn't going to last at Spurs. I think you know. Uh, he, he's found his. He's found his <laughs> yeah. level. He's found his level. Um, All right, mate. Oh, harsh. Harsh, but fair, guys. That brings an end. Stop saying but to fair our Premier League <laughs> <laughs> League review. <laughs> Technically, though, it's true. You know, so. I can get away with it. I think uh, there's, there's something I do want to talk about, which uh, no one else has sort of come um, <clears throat> mentioned. Before anywhere. we finish up, come on, here's here's. Yeah. Um, anyone else seen this clip that's been going around of a player doing a spell on the line um, against the Premier another League. team somewhere in Africa? Oh, okay, okay. Um, no, Adam, don't somewhere. say like okay as if you expect that to happen in Africa. No. Um, harsh but fair, um, and. Uh, then going away and scoring minutes later. And since uh, the said uh, Football Federation has banned uh, black magic from the pitch. Wow. So, wait. When, they say, when I say black magic, I mean... You witchcraft. Know I mean you yeah, mean? witchcraft in that yeah. sense, yeah. Wow, so he actually... He performed it's a phrase in a... England. It's not a racially charged thing. I just want to make of that course. very clear. Um, he performed a ritual mid-game. And you're saying with, within minutes he'd scored he put his hand down on the line says a few words and then runs away and the goalkeeper the thing is the, the way the goalkeeper reacts he almost buys into the whole thing um yeah. sort of running towards him like no no and then minutes later the player scores um do you, now do you believe that, it was witchcraft or is it coincidence oh mate he scored five scorpion kicks later <laughs> later. Um, just moments later <laughs> um, i was 10 yeah, no, wow. I mean, that's the thing. Is, is, so, is that, I mean, they've written it into the law now. Now, there's so many ways we could attack this. First of all, should witchcraft um, or any sort of magic be allowed in the game? Um, uh, do you, do it depends you think, on if it's real or not. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's the problem real. is if, it, if you buy into it, then it's real. If you don't buy into it, then it's not. It's, the same, it's a sort of the same. I mean, you could argue it's the same as saying, you know, uh, should a player be allowed to do the cross on himself? Because he's bringing God into the game. Ooh. Interesting. But then God's everywhere. Parallel. So, you know, is he allowed? Are players allowed to do that? Um, if to, you know, if another player says, "I curse you," using the power of blah blah blah, you know, is that so? Is witchcraft so a religion, though? Um, I mean, it's is using uh, witchcraft a religious 
act? It, I mean, it depends. It, it would totally depend on the football association paganism and, a, a uh, and which. I mean, paganism is technically a religion, yeah. Wow. Because you believe in something. I mean, so you could um, because, you, like you say, you can do the cross on the pitch. You, there are other religious expressions. Why not witchcraft? Why not witchcraft? Um, Why not? That's so what I'm think, saying. I mean, uh, I'm not being disrespectful in that sense, saying uh, that witchcraft is the same level as some other people's religions. But you know what I mean. <laughs> but can you? outlaw something or punish the use of something which isn't real like if i went on the pitch or, and went uh I'll call upon my my leprechaun friends to come and help me score yeah uh and then i scored and said it was because of the leprechauns yeah could they outlaw that but it wasn't real what? i mean adam yeah but adam could you technically track, outlaw anyway. the use of you know um the 12th man because that you know it could be the spirit of the 12th man that's on the pitch like a ghost yeah like a ghost i'm not sure i mean i guess i guess what they're doing is that you know it's very different from saying your own i mean it isn't really i mean if another player from the other side catches you saying a few words to yourself before the game and say that they happen to be words of a certain uh, orientation, then is that is that against the rules? It's not. It's not as fun now. I've, I've sort of gone down this. Uh, I was going to sort of ask if a, if anyone in the Premier League uh, was to do magic, what kind of magic do you think they'd do? I think Klopp would be like a sort of uh, a happy fairy, and I think <laughs> Mourinho would be like a bit of a, uh, a shape shifting witch. What if they could? Or if, did if, you if, eat some brownies halfway through the podcast, mate? No, Dave. I've just become. I've become a footballing <laughs> warlock or whatever it is. Yeah, warlock. Is good. Um, I think so, that, again, there are probably some warlocks out there that are utterly offended by what we're saying and what's happened in that league. Mm. Apparently, you know, people have been quite up in arms about it. If you were going to level the accusation of witchcraft at one Premier League manager or player, Alan Pardew. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. he's But surely it hasn't worked for him because, you know, look at the situation he's got himself in. I mean, a, a manager or a player who is quite clearly performing above a Spell natural only level. So you know? Um, no, Adam, are you insinuating the use of drugs here? And trying no, to accuse I'm player insinuating of drug the use of witchcraft, <laughs> which is clearly a real thing because it's been outlawed uh, in Rwanda. So therefore... It is Rwanda, right, yeah. Therefore, you know, I reckon... Who performs above a natural level, but not with the use of any sort of stimulants, just, you know, good old-fashioned witchcraft. Uh, Sam Nasri prefers IV drips, doesn't he? He goes the, the medical route. Um, uh, I mean, he's tried a couple of different women. Um, yeah. Maybe Diego Costa. Look at how different he's performing this season to last season. You know, is that natural? Is that's he motivation. using... You what? That's motivation. Yeah, maybe it's witchcraft. We'll never now know. it just sounds like we're using this to accuse players of using. <laughs> no, you're. I'm. I'm coming at from a purely, uh, you know, Non-stop. magical pers- perspective. You're yeah. throwing insinuations in there, guys. I think we need to leave it open to the audience, guys. If you think someone is using witchcraft in the Premier League, and I think there's a very high possibility that they are. I mean, uh, do, do, you, do you not? Do you remember that time when someone cursed a ground? I can't remember it. Chris, you're the kind of person who remembers oh, yeah, these sorts of stories. Wasn't it like there was someone who cursed a ground, and a manager got a number of different uh, people in to try and take the curse away. Uh, he he pissed Glenn in all four. Was it Glenn Hoddle? And he pissed in all four, four corners of the ground. Maybe Glenn Hoddle. He did some crazy shit when he was manager of England and Tottenham. Yeah, no, uh, that, it was that's Birmingham a whole other, City. That's a. 
doing doing my research because I don't want to slander Glenn Hoddle with uh, accusations of pissing in uh, the corner of four grounds. Maybe he did do that. I don't know, but uh, it seems that uh, <laughs> Birmingham City uh, used to have a curse. Um, Had an 100 year gypsy curse. Turned on them by a band of gypsies, uh, as they do. Um, spat out the curse in 1906 and it has stayed with Birmingham to this very day. The litany of bad luck is woven into the club's very fabric, and that is a fact. See? Witchcraft does exist. Um, but it was a 100 year curse and it's over now. Oh, it's done. Because the manager lifted it by urinating in each corner of the ground. Is that is that right? I think so. Yeah, I mean... I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't it work? But, yeah. Just makes sense. Oh, because Birmingham won at, at Wembley in 2011 against Arsenal when the Carling Cup final. That was when the curse was lifted, apparently. Not when he pissed in the four corners. Uh, maybe it was a byproduct of that. Uh, One directly led to the other, is what many people would say. Former manager Ron Saunders ordered crucifixes to be placed on the floodlights and for the soles of his players' boots to be painted red. That proved unsuccessful. Shortly before he was put on gardening leave, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, think he, I think he misinterpreted what uh, saving the souls of football players meant. His successor, um, Barry Fry, went one step further, urinating in all four corners of the pitch uh, after, <laughs> after three months about winning a game. Did anyone tap them to do this? It just sounds like Barry Fry being weird. <laughs> it also it also just sounds, sounds like someone. Some it sounds like an Aston Villa fan's heard it and gone, "Yeah, I've heard you need to piss in all four corners of the ground, Barry." Oh, so it stinks for the games. Yeah, exactly, Barry. So it stinks. Mm. This after three months without winning a game, Birmingham City started to turn things around. I thought it had worked, mused manager Barry Fry, when asked if he thought his drastic actions had worked. Then they sacked me, though, so probably not. There you go, the story. So I took a shit in my office. <laughs> oh, oh God. So I peed blood all the way down the corridor. Pissed in my top drawer of my desk <laughs> so that I could at least leave the club with some better fortune. So, so is that what Gus Poirier was doing? Some dignity. Was it Gus Poirier who... Uh, was it, maybe that was witchcraft. When he that left. that wasn't it wasn't Gus Poy who did it, but it was Gus Poy's Brighton side that shit in the dressing room. <laughs> See, witchcraft is everywhere in football. You just don't realise it. It's touched it's all corners it's of the game. Different forms of it, modern forms of witchcraft. Mm. And on that note, what's your favourite form of witchcraft? Hashtag um, I am the magic. <laughs> Hashtag I am Premier the League magic. Do you like to piss in the four corners of your ground? <laughs> yeah. Which one do you think it has? You know, it wouldn't um, surprise me if Jurgen Klopp had pissed on the grass at uh, Anfield. Oh yeah, he's he's the type. Um, guys, that brings then to that our... time that Charlton did a marketing campaign in which they released a video of two people having sex in the centre yeah. circle. They were they yeah. were promoting pitch hop. <laughs> So was that real or was that fake? What's that it got was to fake, magic? They made it seem like it was real. They made it seem Char- like they caught these two people. Charlton deliberately did this. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that, but I thought I always remember them sort of vehemently denying it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Good I, I mean, good I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I think you know, there's also times when maybe certain clubs have pissed, say, thirty-five million up the wall over Andy mm. Carroll. Yeah, Musa Suzuki. You know, there you go. guys, let's end it there. Uh, I can't think of a better moment to end the, the podcast on. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you had a great new year. Hope you had a great Christmas as well. Looking forward to a big 2017. Hope you keep listening to us. Make sure you check out the YouTube channel as well. Big stuff coming. 
Um, but until Thursday, when we'll be back on the podcast. That, that's by the way, that's not what the channel is called. Okay, I just want to make that very clear. Big stuff coming is not what the channel hey. is named. If you need to clarify that, please do. Um, but there's also one other thing I think we should finish on. There's a really lovely picture of Zlatan Ibrahimovic standing in between the bubbles at West Ham. It's just funny. He just looks really he looks really disinterested by the whole situation. Just, uh, tweet, just tweet out, Lawrence. Tweet out so people can. All right. Well, I will. Well, it's a Manchester United picture. I'll screenshot it and oh, I'll, I'll send it to you guys. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Dave, until Thursday, where can people find you? Google. Best place. Statman Dave. Simple as pie. Simple as pie. Uh, Chris? Uh, the front three at the front three more specifically beautiful uh, Lawrence uh, at Lowscast L-O-Z-C-A-S-T mm, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood or at the front three um, do go and check us out there leave us your reviews on iTunes if you would be so kind until Thursday have a bloody great week and come on you Spurs bit biased but oh well 